All right. I want to start today off by asking you a very simple question, and the question is this. What are you driven by? Why do you wake up in the morning? What helps you go to sleep at night? What gets you through your day? What are you driven by? For those of you who are just really into your studies right now, what, what's driving you? For those of you who are committed to finding who the killer is in Among Us, what drives you? What is driving you? For League of Legends players, as the season comes to a close and you want to reach that whatever bronze rank that you so hope for, what drives you and what motivates you? I think for so many people, a big driving factor in our lives is a desire for freedom. Because who in their right mind, with the choice between enslavement and freedom, would choose enslavement? We want to be free. And yet, it feels like freedom these days is rather abstract. I think for a lot of people, our desire is low. I don't know about you guys, but have you been experiencing this with your family, that your patience is just a little lower than it used to be? That for some reason your dad is just slightly more irritating than he used to be? That your sibling is just a little bit annoying, and so if you for some reason abuse your sibling, maybe you've been abusing them just a little bit more during this COVID era because your just patience is down. Maybe you even feel that with some of your friends, that you're talking to them and things that used to mildly irritate you, you're now like, dude, I'm done with you. What, the one thing the COVID era has taught me is that you and I, we just can't be friends. I, I am done. I have no patience for this anymore. I think personal drive in that sen same sense is really low. I think for a lot of us, the reason why we wake up, the reason why we go back to sleep, the reason why we try to get through our days, it's not as tangible as it once was. And I think many of us might even be feeling a lack of motivation, not just in our studies, but even in our relationship with God, just not feeling very motivated anymore. And maybe because of that, some of us have found ourselves in a spiritual lull or a spiritual gully. Because it seems like right now, there are a lot of restrictions on our life. I mean, even us here today, you know, you're, you're spaced in a certain way, you're wearing masks and yada, yada, yada. There just seems so many rules. And because of the high number of restrictions, it feels like we're not as free as we want to be. I know I talk about this a lot, but brothers and sisters, I really want to go to a movie theater. That's all I wanted. I don't even want to go to a movie theater with people. I'll just go by myself. I don't care. I'll sit there for two. I just want to be able to do these things. But Corona just messing up our freedoms, right? But is that true? Is it true that a heightened amount of restrictions means less freedom? If you look at the history of the church, you find that the church, when it was thriving, when the church was really growing in its strength and in its vigor, it's not when things were good. In fact, the church tends to grow and be the most effective when it is the most persecuted. When the community had the least amount of autonomy and control, that is when the church would grow. That's when believers would grow. But for us, that seems strange because freedom, again, it feels like we should have total autonomy. 
Choosing for myself what makes me happy, what makes me content. And any obstruction to my personal desires is, by definition, enslavement. I think all of us deep in our hearts, we want to be free on our own terms, on our own definitions. And only when we feel free without restrictions do we feel like we have any real motivation. I think this is why so many people are under the assumption that religion, especially Christianity, is restricting. And that Christianity and following God is the absence of freedom because there seems to be so many laws and codes and commands, so many very clear do's and do nots. And when we see those, we don't think freedom. We think restrictions, and therefore we think, no, thank you. I can't express myself the way I want to because of these rules. But think about the way you're living right now, the way we're all living. There are certainly impositions on our personal freedoms, more so than ever before. So many things have been taken away from the world that we live in. What seems to be normal is now gone. And by all accounts, this lifestyle that we're all living under the COVID era, by all accounts, it seems like it's going to go on for quite some time. But why? Because if you think about it, a lack of motivation, it's not a symptom of the coronavirus. It's not like COVID came in and then like or the society, we were like, oh yeah, we lost all motivation. This is a brand new problem. This has existed in all of our hearts even before COVID-19. That we've all struggled with things like mental stress, emotional burden, feeling depressed. These aren't new novel concepts that came with 2020. Why is this? I think more often than not, it's because our understanding of freedom tends to be misaligned. Because let's consider the essence of freedom for a moment, shall we? What does it mean to be free? While the world will tell you that freedom is the absence of restrictions, the problem is, brothers and sisters, not all restrictions are bad. In fact, some restrictions are absolutely necessary in order for human beings to, th to thrive and to survive. I know that as middle schoolers and high schoolers, you might not feel particularly free because there's a lot of restrictions. And so who in your mind is the most free? Like, what's your age bracket? Feel free to throw some things out there. 25. 25. 25. I remember being 25. I know none of you guys remember being 25, but I remember being 25. It was seven years ago. Seven years ago, I was 25. And I will admit, there were a lot of personal freedoms that I got to explore. But you know what I also had to do at 25? I had to pay rent, pay car insurance, pay for my phone, pay for my hospital bills. That doesn't seem very free. You know what was nicer? When my mom cooked for me. Instead of me trying to figure out how to make pasta and spam work. That's probably Steven's life. That's not my life. So 25, yeah, it seems a bit more free, but 25 isn't the absence of restrictions. What about a baby? Do you guys think babies are free? As an owner of a baby, I can tell you that while Hezzy does seem to be free, his life is filled with restrictions. Babies have things that they can do and they can't do because they're dumb and they don't know anything. And so there's things that he can eat and he can't eat. A baby's life is nothing but restrictions. I think some of us might look to the animal world. Any dog lovers in here? Like, I think I love dogs more than I love people. That's how much I love dogs. Yeah. Sometimes I look at Sammy and I'm like, dude, you're so free. 
You literally sleep all day and no one bothers you. But at the same time, if Sammy eats a grape, she's dead. That seems like a restriction on her life. Can't eat grapes, right? I mean, I, what kind of a creature eats a grape and dies? You know, I can eat grapes all day, no problem. Even babies can eat grapes. That, and my point is this. No matter how free you think a certain life stage or another creature is, there are always restrictions in place in order to promote that freedom. And this starts to touch on what the Bible says, what true freedom really is. True freedom is not being set free from restrictions. True freedom, in its essence, is being free from enslavement. Can we all say that together? Enslavement? That enslavement is what we really need to be freed from. And believe it or not, more often than not, this enslavement, it comes from our very nature, that we ourselves enslave ourselves more often than not. And we're going to break that down today. We're going to break down what it means to be enslaved by our sinful natures, the weight of failure, the weight of grief, the weight of guilt. Because brothers and sisters, what you and I need the most is not to be freed from wearing masks. We need to be freed from guilt, of the fear of failure, we need to be freed from that voice of condemnation that haunts us at night and through our days. Because this is the greatest form of enslavement that we tend to experience. So we're going to break it down in three parts. Where does this freedom come from? Every time I say that, I think about Cotton Eye Joe. Where does it come from? Where does it go? Anyways, that's the awkward part of the sermon. I'll make sure that doesn't happen again. The second is, what does it do? What does it do? And the third is, well, the only thing that matters. So let's start with the first point. If we need to be freed from enslavement, brothers and sisters, where does this freedom come from? If I can just do a quick reminder in our Galatians series, Paul is arguing against false teachers. These false teachers are saying, oh, you became a believer? Yay. But make sure you do these things too. Because unless you do these things, you're not really saved. Is anyone a believer in here? Raise your hand if you're like, yeah, I, I, I believe in Jesus Christ. Changun. All right, my brother-in-law, I'm going to pick on you. So let's say Changun comes to me. He's like, Pastor Stephen, like, I'm a believer. Like, I, I received the gospel. It's such an amazing moment. I'm like, oh, that's great. But Changun, you better make sure. What do you got? What do you got vans on right now? No, nah, man, Christians don't wear vans. That's the devil's company. You're going to have to wear Adidas only, and that's how you know that you're saved right? Like, it's like, whoa. And everyone's like checking their shoes. Like, wait, am I really saved? Like, that's what these false teachers are doing. They're saying, hey, you believe in Jesus. That's great. But make sure you do Jesus plus. Because while Jesus is good, unless you serve in church also, unless you are a straight A student, that's like how Korean parents get you, right? You believe in Jesus? Well, Jesus wants you to get a straight A's, doesn't he? Right? Um, <laughs> unless you get a job, unless, unless you look a certain way, unless you act a certain way, then you must not really be saved. So while Jesus is good, make sure you do these other things too. And Paul is arguing against this. He's saying, no way. He's saying it's either the gospel or it's not. You, there is no in-between. Either Jesus saves you fully and wholly, or he doesn't save you at all. And any time that you try to add anything to your salvation, you're essentially looking at the cross of Jesus Christ, and you're saying, you are not enough for my salvation. That I know, Jesus, you are good, but you are not good enough to save me. 
Because I also need to be a good son and a good daughter in order to feel like I am saved and I'm worth being saved. I need to get into the school and to get a certain score in order to feel that I have some worth in this life. Because Jesus, the worth that you have given me when you died for me, it's not enough. And that's a problem. That's a ridiculous statement to make. And yet, so often, brothers and sisters, we find ourselves in this position. And so Paul is arguing against this. He wants us to know that if Christ has set us free, we are free indeed. Amen? If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. But from what, brothers and sisters? What has Christ set us free from? Well, a number of things. But he's primarily, he set us free from sin. But specifically, he set us free from the guilt of sin. Can we all say that word guilt? One, two, three. But what do I mean by the guilt of sin? Oh, yeah. Oh, I miss this. This is interaction. I guess Jesus Christ took away, like, um, he took away our sin, so that way if we sin, we don't have to be guilty about it. Amen to that. Amen. Just a round of applause for that. Honestly, I was expecting his voice to be a lot higher. And so when that deep voice came out, I was low-key shocked. I was like, who's talking to me? Is that Brandon? Is that Brandon? He shrink? What's going on here? Um, amen to that. But think about this. Hey, think about the times that you done goofed. The times that you have sinned. Do you ever find yourself thinking back on that sin and feeling the weight of that condemnation? Have any of you messed up in the past and you still think about it today? You think about it and that little voice, that inner voice comes back up to you, right? And says, wow, you did that? Dude, if anyone knew that you did that, do you think that they'd still be your friend? Do you think that they would still love you? You better keep that shut because if anyone hears about that, there is no way that they'll still hang around you. You know what that is, brothers and sisters? That is guilt. That is the weight of condemnation. And I think if we're all being real honest with ourselves right now, we've all experienced it. And I think if we're being even more honest, I think many of us could confess that we are currently experiencing that in our lives. When you realize that you done goofed, when you realize that you messed up, it feels heavy, doesn't it? It's like failing a test heavy. Don't you just love that heaviness? Where you're like, for some reason, you didn't study, but you felt like you get an A, but you got a D. It's weight. It's that weightiness that burdens you and brings you down. That, brothers and sisters, that's enslavement. It is a condemnation that will rule your mind, your heart, your feelings, and your thoughts. It'll start to dictate your worldview on both how you see yourself and how you see those around you. And you see, when we try to be justified, made clean, with a works-driven heart, we will always be played by guilt. And I'm going to break that down because let's consider a works-driven heart for a moment, shall we? This is how a works-driven heart operates. A works-driven heart says, I need to build up a certain standing, reputation, 
credibility. I need something to present myself in a certain manner and in a certain way in order to feel loved, accepted, honored, and respected. But there's a problem here, brothers and sisters, because when you feel like you have to work in order to attain status, you know what you're actually being driven by? You're being driven by fear. Can we all say fear? One, two, three. What do I mean by that? You tend to be afraid of two things. The first is you are afraid of failure. What if I don't measure up? What if I'm not good enough? What if I don't make it? What if life doesn't pan out the way that I have been, that I hope it'll go? Then what's your drive? You're afraid of failing. And so you're going to work harder and harder and harder to help ensure that you're never going to fail. And yet for others of us, we are afraid of success. Anyone weird like that? I'm like that. Anyways, okay, no one raised their hands, just me. Um, fear of success. What do I mean by the fear of success? That when you attain it, that it still won't satisfy you. That when you attain it, it still won't satisfy you. You ever been in that position? Oh, man, once I get a job and I work and I make some money, my life's going to be good. And then you ever go to work and be like, I hate my life. I hate this place. I'm going to burn it down when I leave. Anyone? Anyone, brothers? Yeah, we, we, I think we all know that feeling. If, you, if you're an employee of somebody, you know that feeling, right? Oh, yeah, when I get my car, that's going to be true freedom and liberation. And then you're like, dang it, flat tire. Got to put gas in this thing? This thing eats gas? Have you seen gas prices lately? You realize that car wasn't the freedom that you once assumed that would be? What about relationships? Like, oh, man, once I get a boyfriend, once I get a girlfriend, it's going to be good. And then one day you're just with that person, and you're like, I think I hate you. I just, I, I just came to this realization as I was eating this wing right now that I love this wing more than you. I, this didn't pan out the way I thought it was going to pan out. That's the fear of success. And so what does that person do? That person needs to keep pushing themselves and say, okay, if it wasn't the Honda Accord, it must be the BMW 7 Series. If it wasn't the BMW 7 Series, it must be the Audi R8. And if it's not the Audi R8, it must be the Bugatti Veyron, whatever it is. You know, if, if it wasn't Pearl's tea, it must be Ding tea. That, that, that's the place for me. I, I heard they give health benefits there. If it wasn't this girl, it must be that girl. If it's not this boy, it must be that boy. Why? Because you're afraid that when you'll reach it, it's not going to satisfy you. And so when you feel like you have attained it, you're going to keep pushing yourself. Even though you got the thing that you thought would satisfy you, you still find yourself pushing yourself. Why? Because that is the fear that is driving you. That's all of us in one measure or another. And when we are driven by fear, even the smallest mistakes that we make, they come back and haunt us, don't they? You ever make a social goof? Like, like you're hanging out with your friends and like kind of awkward, you say something stupid, and then you think about it six months later? Why do you do that? Why do we do that? I think about it all the time. I'm like, wait, why did I do that? All those little mistakes that you make, they'll start to compound. And as they compound, I think that's why so many of us experience things like feelings of depression and feelings of anxiety. Because that fear-driven heart just is stack, 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 stack on our minds and our hearts, and it weighs us down to where that is our mode of operation. Think about some of the weird rules and rituals that you've even set up for yourself. I have to do this in order to be a good person. I have to do this in order to feel like I'm a good person. But every time you do that, isn't there a voice that haunts you still? 
hey, I don't think you measure up. God forbid someone find out how actually weak you are. It's haunting. That inner voice of condemnation is a haunting thing. And that's the trouble with the law and trying to work for your salvation and trying to work for your goodness. Because first of all, none of us will ever measure up. We're all going to keep goofing off, <laughs> goofing off, goofing up, and we're all going to keep sinning. And because we can never measure up, we're stuck living with the fear of either failure or success. But look at what Paul says. He says, when Christ fulfilled the law, when he abided perfectly, when he lived life to perfection in, in accordance to God's holy standard, and then he died for you and me, all of a sudden, everything changed. All of a sudden, there's a freedom of acceptance, not based on your quality and your character, but based on the quality and character of Christ, the perfect man and the perfect son. So what does that mean then for us? If freedom can't be found in our work, but freedom comes from the cross of Jesus Christ alone, what does it mean? Well, consider this, brothers and sisters. I'm going to peg this Korean child syndrome. Any Korean children in here? I don't know why some of you didn't raise your hands. We're like a 99% Korean church. Anyways, Korean child syndrome. A lot of Korean kids experience this, and I think especially, and I think immigrant children as a whole. We all have this thing where like, my parents sacrificed a lot for me, and so I need to live for them. And anyone kind of like, eh, it's kind of my life. Eh. I understand, I understand. Imagine my parents' devastation when I told them that I was going to be a pastor. That was a rough conversation, brothers and sisters. Why? Because I felt that they had made such great sacrifices for me, and they have. And so therefore, I needed to measure up. I need to measure up so that my life was worth their sacrifice. And anytime I felt short of that standard, I experienced Failure, and I think for so many of us, we live in order to not fail our parents. That at the end of the day, you, as a teenager in 2020, you probably don't care whether you get a B or not. Like, just like honestly, like, it's not the end of the world. Some of you are like a B. I don't even dream that high, Pastor Stephen. That's amazing. I think we are afraid of getting Bs, Cs, and Ds. We are afraid that the SAT score might be one point shy of 1,600 because we don't want to fail our parents. We live with that fear. But if you tap into that fear, I'm going to tell you something. As much as you may be afraid of failing your parents, you're probably more afraid of failing yourself. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that if you were to fail your parents, you would be afraid of what that says about who you are. That you are a son who has failed. That you are a daughter who has failed. So as much as you might be afraid of failing your parents, I think what drives us the most is a fear of failing ourselves. That's the thing that grips us and gets us. And so many times in that fear-driven mentality, I think that's why so many immigrant kids, we just don't know who we are. Because we've been living on the motivation of this type of fear. You ever have an existential crisis like that? I don't know who I am. It's the fear-driven mentality. But if the gospel is true, 
if what the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, if that is actually true, then we actually have a very clear definition of Christian freedom. A a type of Christian freedom that says, if Christ is the only one who can set us free, and he has set us free, when he died on that cross and said, I have done what you could not, think about the implications of this for a moment. This means that you don't have to live being afraid that you're not going to measure up because Christ says, I have already measured up. And I have died for you so that my standing is your standing. That you do not have to judge the value of who you are in your life based on some ridiculous standard that you've come up for yourself or a ridiculous standard that someone else has placed upon you. That I don't care what you've done, where you've been, and what's happened to you. When I died for you, that was once and for all. And if I died for you, my your value is defined by my sacrifice and isn't that true like let's say for some reason I died for Charlie do you think Charlie would live the same way if he did it would mean that my sacrifice he's like yeah Pastor Stephen died no big deal but if Charlie's like oh my goodness Pastor Stephen father of two died for me like I need to become the youth pastor of Promise Church to fulfill his legacy it would change him what the gospel says is if you recognize what Christ has done for you, that costly sacrifice, then it must change the way that you think you operate. Not as someone who is working so hard to achieve, but someone who is working out of what he and she has already received. And this is so radically different than every other form of freedom that is offered to us today. I'm going to be honest right now, I'm in a predicament. We were supposed to end at 12, and it's 11.42. We ain't going to make it. You guys want me to press on? All right, let's just see what happens. eh? Let's just see where the Spirit of God takes us this morning then. eh? And if I get yelled at, you know, try to defend me in front of your parents. But, you know, I understand if you don't. That is so radically different than every other form of freedom that is available. Because think about it. What type of freedom do you and I want? We want the freedom of self-expression, right? Like, I want to just express myself however I want. But what if your self-expression is harmful to yourself? And what if it's harmful to other people? Like, what are you going to do then? Is it still freedom? If, If every thought that comes out of your mind, if you actually say it, is that really free? Of course it's not. You're going to be gated by it. Some of us, we are working so hard because we want the freedom of financial success. But brothers and sisters, how much is enough? When do you cap that off? When do you measure it? For others of us, it's the freedom of relational intimacy. I'll be free when I can start dating people and, and just be in a meaningful relationship. But brothers and sisters, what happens when you, make, when you break up? Even the happiest couples have their problems. And like I've given in a dating seminar before, y'all, please heed my words on this. If you want to date someone because you're miserable, Just listen to this part of the sermon. It is better to be miserable alone than it is to be miserable with another person. Amen? It is better to be miserable alone than to be miserable with another person. Because when you're miserable by yourself, at least there's ice cream and Netflix. If you're miserable with someone else, that person is just a target, right, for you to execute your judgment upon, okay? It is better to be miserable by yourself. But, If we are actually freed by Christ's blood, 
Then we're freed from the weight of guilt, the, free, the weight of condemnation, the weight of that inner voice that's going to try to haunt us at night. And you know what that means, brothers and sisters? That you don't have to be afraid. That you don't have to live out of fear. You don't have to be afraid of losing things. You don't have to be afraid of not getting things. You don't have to be afraid. Do you know what the most common commandment in the Bible is? The most given commandment. Any guesses? Fear not. Is that Eric? David? All right, round of applause for David. The commandment that God gives to his people the most is fear not. Do not be afraid. Why? Because he knows that we as people in our sinful nature, we live out of fear. But he also knows that that freedom from that fear, it comes through what his son has done for us. That's true freedom. And it's only found in the gospel message. So what does that freedom do when it hits us? This is our second point. I said we're a little behind, right? Second point. What does it do? Well, it changes our mode of operation. Listen, if you are created by God, then there is a manner in which you are supposed to function. I was telling this example to someone the other day. Like, if you are a Minecraft, I don't know what you're called, like a creator, then that world of minds, it needs to function as you have crafted it. Amen? Word, right? That's like my dog, Sammy. If I try to make Sammy function as a car, what would happen to her? She ain't going to make it. She's like 10 years old. She wasn't built for that, right? And it's the same way. If God has designed us, then there is a manner in which we're supposed to function. And anytime we go outside of that, there is a groaning, there is a pain, and there is an angst that we experience because we don't function as we are intended to function. You ever take an old computer and try to play a high-processing game? It's like the computer's screaming at you, like, please, stop abusing me. I can't handle this anymore, right? That, that's what happens when you lag out. We as people, we're supposed to operate out of a God-given freedom that's born from his grace. Anytime we function outside of that, we experience the groaning, the anxiety, and the angst. And you have to choose. Paul says you can't have it both ways. Either you are saved by grace alone or you are saved by works alone. Either your salvation is all on God or it is all on you. And think about this, brothers and sisters. If your salvation, your standing before God has to do with how hard you can try, then brothers and sisters, we better try our butts off. We should never drop the ball. We have to work, 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 work. We, have, we should obey the law in its entirety. That's what Paul says in verse 3. I've been seeing this tweet a lot that, do you guys know what Buddha's dying words were? Strive without ceasing. Strive without ceasing. That means try and never stop. Strive without ceasing. That was Buddha's dying words. And that's what a works-driven heart is. If you're going to choose that, he's absolutely right. Never stop. Push yourself to the brink of your own personal extinction in order to re reach the stage that you feel like you need to reach because if you don't accept the gospel, you better try your hardest to make your life as perfect as you possibly can be. But when you only accept the gospel, 
and you try to make it about works, you sully the whole thing. There was a man who had a baseball card. Do you guys know the baseball player Babe Ruth? He's arguably considered, even to this day, one of the greatest baseball players of all time. And he had a signed card from Babe Ruth. Like, that's legit, y'all. That's like, whoo. But as the years went on, the signature got slightly faded. But he went to an auction, and he sold the card. It sold for so much money because it was so rare. But right before he handed it over, see, he was a little bit worried that since the signature was a little faded, that the other person wouldn't like it. So he took a pen. And he traced, in his assumption, perfectly Babe Ruth's signature. You know what the card's value was after he did that? Zero dollars. Zero dollars. Because he added something to it. And that's the gospel, brothers and sisters. Any time we are driven by our works in order to attain salvation, we sully and damage the whole thing. There is no such thing as we are partly justified by God and partly justified by how good you are. Or how, there's no such thing as being saved through osmosis. There's no being saved because you grew up in church. There's no being saved because your parents are, I don't know, missionaries or pastors. There is no being saved because you're just better than the average 16-year-old. Either you are justified wholly by God or you are not. But if you are justified wholly by God, that's when you can recognize grace. And you can see the things in your life for what they actually are. And you recognize that life in and of itself is a gift. When you have a works-driven heart, when things are taken away from you, it's crushing. It'll destroy you. The weight of that guilt, the weight of your fa failure, it'll end you. But when you operate out of grace, when you lose things, yeah, you're going to grieve. Yeah, you're going to complain, but you won't be crushed by the weight of its absence. There will be a baseline level of confidence, and it will literally change you. And that guilt, listen, y'all, reflecting upon your sin has its place. And reflecting upon your sin, it is necessary for true repentance. This isn't like, I sinned, I'm not going to think about it, but Jesus forgives me, and blah, 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 done. No, that's not it at all. It has its place. There are a great number of things that each and every single one of us needs to repent for. But listen, whenever your depravity of your sin shocks you, whenever you are shocked by something that you did, be even more shocked that Jesus knew you would do that when he bled out on that cross for you. When you are shocked by the weight of your own sin, be even more shocked that Jesus knew that when he died for you. That's true reflection of our sinful nature. Recognizing, yes, I am terrible, but God is so much better. Because when the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. It's fear that gives way to self-punishment, but it's grace that shows us that God, who has taken our punishment on our behalf, doesn't want us to live in fear. Because while Buddha's final words were strive without ceasing, our Lord Jesus on the cross, he didn't say strive without ceasing. He says, it is finished. It is done. It is finished. That you don't have to work for my love. You only need to receive it. And that changes the game, doesn't it? Could you imagine you have to work for your parents' love? Some of you might feel like you have to. Isn't that terrible? It's like, oh my goodness, like, I need to do the dishes, otherwise my parents won't love me. Like, what a terrifying prospect. And yet for so many of us, this is how we work with God. And God's like, do you not see what my son has done for you? 
I don't want you to live like that. Jesus Christ said it is finished, which leads us to our third and final point, because all of a sudden, when you realize that Jesus on that cross said it is finished for you, you realize the only thing that actually matters. Because you don't have to be driven by a sense of fear. Because in a state of fear, at least how we define fear in the modern day, fear doesn't express itself to meaningful love. What if you were in a dating relationship and you were just afraid of, I don't know, that person leaving you all the time? That's not love. That's just some type of weird situation you find yourself in. You need to get out. What if you're afraid that, I don't know, it's, it's, fear doesn't express itself in meaningful love in any capacity. But look at how Paul concludes this section. He says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Can we say love, one, two, three? We're going to conclude on a positive note. I just say saying things like sin and guilt, but we're going to end with love. Why? Because you see, it's not when there are restrictions we experience slavery, brothers and sisters. We are enslaved when we are governed by fear and guilt. And in that place, we, are, we can't be who we were designed to be. And you, brothers and sisters, as much as myself, we were designed to love God and to love one another. But look at this. If you understand how you have been justified before God, that you stand before God as Christ stands before God, that you are accepted by God as Christ is accepted by the Father, and when you realize the high cost of that. Because, brothers and sisters, why was Jesus faithful? And why was he obedient? Even to the point of death on a cross. It was the greatest and most profound expression of his love. His love for God and his love for people. That while we may fail in every aspect of our life and be riddled by guilt, Jesus, who did not fail, he invites us to experience what that sonship looks like because of what he has done. And when that hits you, there is a profound sense of security. All of a sudden, it unlocks you. And you can do what you were meant to do, which is to love God and to love people. It is the ultimate expression of your faith. And this isn't some type of, you know, all you need is love nonsense. I love the Beatles as much as the next guy. But this isn't just like, you know, it's just love wins. No. Love does win, but you have to realize that love wins because love paid the ultimate cost. It is sacrificial. It's not just accepting of everything. To love God and to love others. It is the summation of the law. And if you are living a certain way because you are afraid of what other people might think about you, that you just care too much about what other people think, you know what the gospel says to that? If you recognize what God thinks about you because Jesus died for you, then what are, what's the opinion of man? It's not that other people's opinions don't matter, but they don't have a weight on you like they used to be. If you are afraid of being alone, and that no one will ever love you, and that you're just stuck in this position constantly, and people leave you, people abandon you. You know what the gospel says to that? That your worth is never valued by the people who stay or do not stay in your life. It is measured by the God who has been constant in your life from day one because of the costly love of Jesus Christ. Amen to that? Amen to that. If you are afraid that you're just not going to measure up to whatever standard that you have had, brothers and sisters, that standard is nothing in comparison to the standard of Jesus' life. And Jesus died for you so you can have his standing. And so you don't have to be afraid about yours. Amen to that? Amen to that. That is the gospel. And all of a sudden, you know the only thing that matters then. The only thing that matters is that you are loved by God. And therefore, 
you can love him and you can love other people as you have been loved. And that is the operation of grace activated in your life. When you recognize what Christ has done, you realize that you are loved freely. And so in turn, you can love freely. This is the ultimate expression of our faith. And this is the expression of our freedom. Not just in getting rid of restrictions, but in recognizing the one who has set us free. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness and, your, and just your grace in our life that while we fail, while we fall, while we do not succeed, Lord, you do not fail, that you are a constant God and you do not fail. And so, Lord, let us always measure ourselves in accordance to the great grace that you have given us that tells us that even though we have no value, you have given us yours. And so let us stand tall and stand courageous, Lord. I thank you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.